It's good to see everybody here today. And our hearts are uh, feeling great loss with Pastor Lee going to heaven this last week. Um, but we also are focusing on his joy. His race is won and won well. And he will continue to inform us in his faith and his, and his example uh, in worship and praise and the anointing of, of God in the days ahead. He will continue to inform and bless and influence us for sure. So we are continuing our journey through the story, Chronological Bible. And this last week we read chapter 26, the hour of darkness, the darkest hour about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I, I want to say I'm so excited about preaching about the cross of Jesus Christ because of the potency of that, of that event. <laughs> he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, says the book of Revelation way after in speaking about end times. And there's a transcendent force and power that comes from that moment in history that the Holy Spirit applies to our hearts in a continual moment-by-moment moment way. And there's always been, um, uh, it seems like down through the years, uh, an attack on the substitutionary atonement of, of Christ theologically. And it's, it's something I feel very, very jealous for. I want to protect this fundamental foundational reality because it's so key to everything else in our Christian life. And it is so honoring to God as Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, we want to see the glory of God. We, the glory of God is hidden behind the cross of Christ. See the cross of Christ, you'll see the glory of God. The cross and the spirit is the title of the talk for this morning. And I want to point out that there's been different emphases about how the cross works for our benefit for the first thousand years of, of uh, church history, the idea of, the, of uh, God having to pay a ransom to Satan to redeem us was uh, the predominant theology. And it's, uh, it's still reflected in C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, where, where uh, um, a, a, a ransom had to be paid to the witch to redeem uh, um, Ed? Ed? Edmund. Edmund. <laughs> yeah, Edmund and the rest of the gang. So that's a, that's a, has been a, a, a theology that's been important and real to people, helpful to people. I know the church that I grew up in, a mainline denominational church, missed it hugely in emphasizing the fact that the way Jesus redeems us is that he shows us how much he loves us by dying for us, but without any reference to the atonement and the blood sacrifice actually washing our sins away, past, present, future. It was just an expression of his love. And I thought to myself, man, I, I, can ima I can't imagine saying to Brenda, I want to show you how much I love you. Just, just to prove how much I love you, I'm going to go ahead and just die just to express how much I love you, with no reference to it having any meaning. I mean, if it saved her life or something, I could see myself doing that. But Jesus didn't just 
show his love to us by dying for us without any impact or potency to redeem us. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old till the, the substitutionary atonement of Christ became revelatory to me and I owned it like the Apostle Paul did when he said, Jesus Christ loved me and he sacrificed himself for me. John Wesley in his Aldersgate experience when he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed and I knew that Jesus Christ had died for me and my sins were forgiven. All of my sins were and are forgiven, even mine. The cross impacts us at the very core of our personhood. The deepest essence of our personalities, our deepest, our deepest core humanity, who we are at our deepest level. That's how the, where the cross redeems and impacts us and saves us. There's a satisfaction not only of the love of God, but of the justice of God. And in our day, there's a de-emphasis on the wrath of God, even among some revival circles. I've heard people say, Jesus, Jesus experienced the wrath of man, but not the wrath of God. Now, I'm not saying that, and, I, and we must understand the wrath of God if we think of the wrath of God as being like human wrath, like out-of-control abuse of some kind, someone with just a bad temper. That's uh, human wrath gone south. <laughs> the wrath of God is studied, it's controlled, but it is infinite in its expression. God is a loving God. Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love, but he is just as infinitely and just as fully a God of justice and a God of wrath. I will by no means acquit the guilty, God says, and the wages of sin is death, eternal death. Now, I'm not um, saying by this that, as some people seem to perpetuate the understanding that because of that, we must constantly live in a sort of a sense of wringing our hands and, boy, I hope God's not mad at me today. And I'm a sinner, Save my grace, but man, I am such a sinner. And, and with that sort of uh, mindset, we set ourselves up for the kind of uh, lifestyle that, that flows from our identity. It's impossible, to, it's impossible to live out a life inconsistent with our self-image. I totally believe, as you know, that the Bible teaches us. It's, we are repeatedly called what in the New Testament? Saints. Holy ones. Ephesians 1, we are holy and blameless in His sight. But that does not mean that we don't look back and be so totally grateful and worshipful and, and humbly happy that we were the chief of sinners and that God redeemed us and made us saints. And it's that theology that we celebrate when we consider the cross of Jesus Christ and its uh, impact. Any theology of the cross of Christ that doesn't result in praise and worship is a misunderstanding of that theology. <laughs> Rocks our world and causes us to be happy and thankful to him. Well, 
I think the Holy Spirit was very happy and excited about the fact that there was going to be a criminal crucified next to Jesus of the two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus, one on each side, that the Holy Spirit was so happy that one of them was going to respond to his work in his life even during the midst of the crucifixion. And it is in that, this paradigm, this prototype of salvation that I want us to consider for a moment and apply it to our own experiences with our own uh, journey of the cross of Jesus for our own lives. I'm going to give an altar call at the end, give you a chance to be saved and receive Jesus as your Savior. So you can be ready for that. If you're not good saved, this is your day. After that lengthy introduction, that is my first point. At the cross, the Holy Spirit is giving and continues to give clarity about our future joy. Luke 2:23, sorry, Luke 23 verse 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do." Father, Son, and the Spirit always looking for a way to forgive. But we've got to say yes to their forgiveness and receive their forgiveness and their atonement through Jesus. Well, they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and anesthesia and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, mockingly, but paradoxically, prophetically, this is the king of the Jews. We know that Jesus is the son, prophesied son of David whose kingdom will never, never end. Then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And if we indeed justly, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deed, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, and emphasizing this line this morning first, Today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to know that the cross of Jesus Christ is never to be considered in isolation from the resurrection of Jesus and the glories of heaven. If we just focus on Good Friday and the cross in isolation from the resurrection and glory and joy of the resurrection, we're missing it. They are two sides of the same coin. It's always 
When we think of Good Friday, it's always, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Part and parcel of it, the Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus, in his mind, as he was suffering so horribly, was thinking about the joy of eternal bliss with the Father and the Spirit once again. But even more so, the great redemption that he would, he would procure at the cross for millions and millions, maybe billions of blood-bought family members. You were in his mind when he died. And with great joy, he knew he would redeem you from your lostness. Paradise was in his mind. And he was communicating to the thief it's not just about you dying today, my friend. It's about you being redeemed with me, with my joy in paradise forever. It's going to be yours too. My friends, it's yours too. The crucifixion of Jesus means your paradise, your heart, your joy. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The cross Establish it. The, the cross has a vertical beam to it. That's our vertical, speaks of our vertical relationship with God, but it also has a horizontal beam to it, which means that there is a redemption relationally amongst ourselves. We think of Jesus turning to John and saying to John the Apostle at the foot of the cross, looking to Mary and saying to John, Behold your mother, and to Mary, Behold your son. And I don't think that that just means Jesus isn't going to be around to take care of Mary anymore, and I need, and I need you to help, help me out here, John. I think Jesus is establishing and giving the job to John, one of the sons of thunder, one of the roughest, most non-affectionate of all the apostles, the job of caring for his mother was saying, I am giving you a job that you're going to have to have miracle to accomplish at the standard I expect it to be accomplished. You're going to take care of my mom, but you're going to need the Holy Spirit to do it, rough and tumble son of thunder. I'm going to turn you into the apostle of love by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be a blessing to my mom in the anointing of the Spirit. And God has called us to that horizontal redemption, to people he brings into our lives, born into our families, our extended families, people he brings into our sphere of influence. He gives us a supernatural anointing of love to care for people way beyond our capability of doing that. A supernatural affection, a supernatural ability to give self-sacrificially to serve people in the way that Jesus did. We see this in Jesus' invitation for us to do even greater works than he has done. And we see this in the healing rooms. We see this on the street. We see this, someone was just telling me last night that they were in a, at a very, very fancy restaurant with their with their wife recently, and, and um, the, the, the server, the gal, waitress, um, started to share what their 
something about a great need of, um, uh, for physical healing uh, she had. And, and uh, they didn't feel like it was uh, uh, appropriate in the moment to pray out loud, but they assured her of, of, of a commitment to pray for her moving forward in their life. And she felt so loved and cared for just by that statement. It was a true Jesus moment, and this is the kind of love that, that, the, that the, is represented by the symbol, symbolism of the, of, the, of the cross beam, horizontal beam of the cross, that God redeems us vertically to him, but also in redemption with each other and reaching out, calling the world to reconcile, being reconciled to him. Here's a short video of an amazing uh, testimony that happened this last week out on the street with one of our couple, a few of our evangelists. We always do prayer in, in the church before we go. And then, um, then we started in the parking lot. We were all trying to figure out where we were going to go. And we have made two teams, me and Jason. Say hi, Jason. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, it was um, Andrew and um, Jim went with the, as another team. And we were trying to figure out where we were going to go. And then... Um, Andrew started singing the song, Oh Danny Boy, started singing that song, and then he stopped and he goes, hold on guys, I think we, um, there's a guy that's going to be named Danny that's going to be led to Jesus. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see this um, girl that was crouched, sitting on her, you know, with her knees held tight to her chest, and I, and I just like beelined it right before I just... Um, I just wanted to pray over her. And so we get over there to her and um, uh, like she could just tell immediately that she was distraught and she was in tears. And, and I and, and like, but she was also like, just had this look of like despair on her face. Yeah, and, she had total despair. And um, so I just asked her, I said, hey, do you mind if we pray over you? And she's, she looks and she goes, I don't mind. And, and I said, can we lay hands? And I'm pulling out my anointing oil at the same time. And, and, and I go, was there any specific thing you want us to pray over? And she goes, no, it's, it's confidential, so I said it's confidential. I said so you want us to guess, <laughs> and I made I made a little like not joke, but like it was okay at the moment. You can feel the spirit moving as we're asking her to pray, and um, she didn't mind at all. She wanted us, to, she allowed us to pray over, her. and and then Jason's on the other side of her and praying over her too, and then she just like the tears just started coming out, and um, you can see the hurt on her. And as we're praying over the Holy Spirit, starts showing me suicide. <clears throat> Anyways, I started praying over suicide, and as she's praying, um, like God is showing me in my heart suicide, and so I started speaking it out. Spirit of suicide, you have to go. And there's there's other things we were saying along with the with the words of suicide too. I can't remember exactly how it all went, but I just knew that God God knew what He was doing. <laughs> and yeah, as we're praying, over. <laughs> yeah. Um, as we were praying, she just like you can just tell there's a deeper sob coming from her. As we were praying, it's like God was going down deep in this girl, and He was just uprooting all the stuff. <laughs> he was ripping it out of her. <laughs> he was after her heart. And as she was able to, to to follow the prayer, you know, to to accept Jesus and 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 the Holy Spirit, and when 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 she accepted him. Um, she she just she just started to light up. Yeah, she was want like some some people would be passing by like, hey, can we pray over you? And um, and as they would be walking by, someone would be like, no, no, and she'd be like, no, no, you guys <laughs> need to get prayer. Come and get a taste of Jesus. I just prayed the prayer to receive him. She was like just so full of joy, 
and so happy. Like you can just tell like from one change to the next. Well, she, she didn't reveal her testimony to me yet, but she revealed it to Jason yeah. that um, she was minutes away from giving all of her stuff away. She already had it in mind. Um, she, she already had it in mind that she was gonna give all of her stuff away. And that um, then she was gonna go over to the Dairy Queen overpass where the overpasses are over the freeway and she was gonna jump off and kill herself. And that spirit of suicide, she also revealed to us too in part of her testimony later on that, um, that the spirit of suicide was on her for the last couple weeks and she was actually contemplating for the last two weeks on how she was gonna kill herself. She's waving away and like, hey guys, you know, doing this whole wave and we're doing this back to her, we're doing the whole wave back to her. And then um, we get over to her and she's sitting with somebody else, another, another guy. And I started sharing a little bit of the gospel, but then I, I came to the point where I was like, my name's Chris. And he's like, well, my name's Danny. <laughs> so we were like, I looked at Jason, are you kidding me? <laughs> So the application is that the joy is our future. We live in the presence of our future. Right now, our, set, our affections are set on the things above. We're seated together in heavenly place, Jesus. So we experience dimensions of that supernatural joy we'll have in heaven right now. But it also invo involves the fellowship of the joy relationally with each other. And as we reach out in joyous, miraculous, supernatural ministries, ministries of expressions of love and kindness and, and even greater works, Jesus said, than the ones I've been doing out into the marketplace, this is our uh, joy as a culture that is committed to the kingdom and committed to uh, working with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today. So the Holy Spirit is giving clarity about our future joy from the cross to the Criminal, through the work of the criminal's life. But also, at the cross, the Holy Spirit is giving clarity about the desperate alternative to our future joy. The desperate alternative to our future joy. Luke 23, 39. Then one of the criminals who were, who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? What was this criminal expressing? He was saying, I cannot believe that you're not, that you don't have the fear of God because you're going to be just in a few moments, in a few hours, in the presence of God and you don't even fear him. And what was this criminal that had the, the Holy Spirit was working in him and giving him an anointing of faith regarding the fear of God? The reality of the fear of God in his life, and this was the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, and it's, it's uh, a beautiful thing, and he, he continues, and we indeed are being crucified justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I see this as a desperate cry for help. This man is aware by the Holy Spirit that without a savior, he is undone forever. Without a savior to clothe him with, his right, with the righteousness of the savior, he will be among those at the banqueting table that the, that, the, that the Lord of the banquet says, he 
does not have a robe, the right robe. Throw him into outer darkness. And that's what happens to someone who's not covered with the robe of righteousness that Jesus imputes to us through, through childlike faith in him. And fear of God, concern about our eternal destiny. That's what this thief on the cross was experiencing, a, a PTSD in advance, an eternal concern that is a, a, a continual panic attack. I, I'm in trouble. I'm going to be thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. This is a very real emotional experience for those that go into eternity without Christ. And it's that concern, that fear that um, the Holy Spirit gives to people before they come to Christ. No one can come to me, says Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up the last day. And the Father draws through the fear of the Lord that he puts on us, as well as the the anointing of hope that God will redeem in his mercy and forgive us for our sins. The book of Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't have any even start of wisdom unless you have the fear of the Lord. And the hymn writer John Newton said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And then grace my fears relieved, but the fear was there first. The classic story of Martin Luther, the great reformer, before he came to Christ, walking along, thinking profound thoughts, lightning strikes a tree near him. He falls to the ground in terror, thinking about his own death in sudden shock, says, St. Anne, I'll become a monk, reaching out, trying to get some garment to put on himself, some religious deed, some good work to clothe himself, because he knows in the face of death he has nothing to offer. But my friends, you do have something to offer. Your childlike faith in Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation is the grace that, that will relieve the fear that is a valid neurosis, an appropriate concern about your personhood going into eternity when Christ comes back or when you die. It is a valid concern that needs to be addressed and Jesus is the medicine for that great pain and that great distress and discomfort that um, our spiritual condition has put us in. So, we see that in Martin Luther, I saw it in my own life at the age of 16. I woke up in the middle of the night many times knowing just I was terror. I was in terror because I was afraid I was going to die without Christ and I know I wasn't living for him. And that brought me, helped bring me to faith in Christ in my teenage years. We see the fear of God starting to work in varying degrees in the people of the cross. In addition to the one criminal, one did not have the fear, one, and he should have, one did. But the Spirit gave him fear, the good guy. Pilate had no real fear of God, but his wife did, had a, had a God dream. The beginnings of the fear of the Lord to bring her to faith. I trust she went to had faith. The mob, crucify him. But yet and yet, in the midst of the crowds, there were some that ended up on the day of Pentecost among the 3,000 coming to faith in Christ just a few weeks later. We have the priests being so set in their anger and their hatred 
But yet and yet later, many of the pre from among the priests come to faith in Christ, the Bible says in Acts. We have the soldiers gambling and mocking. But then we have two of the centurions, the leaders of the soldiers, saying this man was a righteous man. And one of them even says, this man was the son of God. Revelation, the fear of the Lord. It's the spirit at work in them. It's the spirit at work in your life. Clarity about our future joy. Clarity about the desperate alternative to our future joy. And finally, at the cross, the Holy Spirit is giving us a very clear, giving us a very personal clarity about an inner assurance. Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to the criminal, Assuredly, I say to you, it's really true. It's 100% certain. He just doesn't tell him something. He says, assuredly, I'm telling you this, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. Something about absolute assurance communicated by Jesus and the Holy Spirit in, the, in agreement, pressing it to the criminal's heart. I will have paradise indeed. In the epitaphs of the first century Roman world, there for many years archaeologists found the acrostic, R, not R.I.P., rest in peace, but a different acrostic in Greek letters that they didn't know what it meant. And they finally discovered what it meant. They found the key to answer what it meant. And the acrostic read on thousands of graves an acrostic that was stating, I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. Just cynicism about life and death. I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. But when the Christian message comes on the scene, bam. All these graves. He sleeps but lives. He went to God. Certain assurance. I visited a Washougal Washington Cemetery a few weeks ago because I have family members there. My mom's grave was there. I was looking for my mom's grave. I knew my dad was going to be, who's on hospice right now, is going to be buried right next to my mom there. I wanted to go there and pray. I couldn't find her grave, but I found several others that were meaningful to me. I'm not going to tell all the stories of the different ones. I found the grave of a 16-year-old boy that was the older brother of my, one of my best friends in fifth grade. He died in a car crash when I was in fifth grade and rocked our fifth grade world. His, he was the son of a Episcopal pastor in the town of Washougal. I don't know where that family ended up. The Episcopal church tends to put pastors, move them every two years or so. But I do know that, that they had hope that the son that they're burying here would live again. Mm -hmm. That was 
shockingly meaningful to me in the moment. I saw the grave of my, of, uh, of, my, uh, of an uncle that died in infancy when he was an infant. My grandfather often told me the story in tears about burying his infant son in a box that he made himself and buried himself in the Washington Cemetery. I thought, this, that happened right here, that story my grandpa told me as a child. And then I, I came across my great-grandmother Helgeson grave. And I, I noticed she was buried next to her husband who died at the age of 31 when she was 27. And she was 91 when she died as a widow. 60 years more. 64 years later, actually. What was she saying by saying, I want to be buried next to my husband? She's saying, there's no lost relationship in glory. There's no, all relationship is fully restored. Hope, certainty, assurance. I love the expression of that in my great-grandmother. I just love it. I conclude the talk this morning with a story of a French army chaplain many years ago that um, had a habit of sharing the gospel with the French soldiers before they went into battle to try to give them some hope, some assurance of eternal life through Jesus. And he would use Psalm 23 and he would, he would, he would start with the little finger and say, the Lord is my, and a special emphasis on the Lord being my to this young soldiers going off to war. He's your, he's my shepherd. And he would preach a five-point sermon based on his fingers. The Lord is my shepherd. And one day, after a battle, they found one of the young soldiers that had heard the chaplain preach. He'd been killed, and sadly, in the battle. But they noticed that he was in death, gripping his index finger. The Lord is my shepherd, my savior, my God, in the face of any trial, any difficulty, but the Christian hope shines the brightest in the face of death. My friends, death is the last enemy and Jesus Christ defeated death. It was the day at Golgotha's cross, it was the day that death died. Hallelujah. Would you like to receive Christ's sacrifice for yourself? Let's stand up and I ask everyone in the audience here to say this with me for the sake of those joining us from our television audience. If you're ready to receive Christ, the best way to start is to confess him. Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And the Bible also says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And you might even want to, want to use the words of the criminal dying next to Jesus on the cross. Lord, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.
that will be enough. Jesus will understand what you want. He'll understand what you want. Say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead. Please remember me in your kingdom when I face you. I receive you as my Savior. I call upon you to save me right now. Amen. My friends, tell a Christian friend you respect that you did that today. They'll help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's an urgent thing you must do. They will, grow, they will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. They'll help keep you on fire for him. God bless you. God bless us all in the sanctuary today. Have a great day. Amen.